Hey, turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, okay? John chapter 11. We're going to be, oh, thank you. Sorry about that. I just tend to drop things a lot, so. Uh, I dropped my notes one time, and my, my reaction before I said anything, I said, oh, there goes my brains. I just lost my brain. John 11. We're going to talk today uh, about the story of Jesus and Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And it, I got to confess, this is a long passage, okay? We're going to read a long passage of Scripture. But this is God's Word, okay? Now, all the other stuff is my Word. So, and, and by the way, there's an old axiom among preachers that says, the longer the text, the shorter the... No, not, not probably not, no. Let's dive in. You, you know the story well. This actually is a, a prequel to Easter. Just, this happened just a few weeks before, two weeks before Easter. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, John chapter 11, just follow along, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of uh, Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, they were close friends at just a, a personal level. He whom you love is sick. By the way, that word sick actually means sick and at the point of death. And that had to register with Jesus when he heard it. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go again to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews thought to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he gets well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was talking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews who had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to him, Jesus, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me, Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. 
As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with their weeping, and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, where have you laid them? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who had opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had heard these things, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And if you wish you could have been there that morning, give the Lord a big hand. That was an amazing story. <clears throat> so here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about time in here. And I just make three quick observations. The first one is this. The first one is this. The Lord has a different clock than ours. His clock is different than ours. If you looked at his wristwatch, it would look different to you. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, just not long ago, uh, Apple came out with their new iWatch, okay? How many are like Mac, I, iPad, I, I, I everything people, okay? Or how many Android people we got around here, okay? How many just want to be rid of all the gadgets forever? So. What's funny about, for me about these iWatches, I was looking at the commercial and I thought, you know what, it's crazy because I stopped using a watch when I got my iPhone. You know, I just used my watch or my phone as my watch. So they did away with everybody having watches and now they've created a feeling that you have to have a watch which will do everything in the world, including causing your children to behave and everything else. So. It's pretty crazy. So I don't know if the Lord's watch looks like that. He might be the only one that can actually afford one. I've heard the, uh, the gold edition is like 30,000 bucks, okay? So I'm not going to be getting one of those anytime soon. If you want to get one, that would be fine. And the treasurer of the church would like to sign you up for a new donation to the next project. <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but the Lord's watch doesn't look like our watch. He's not bound by the confines of time. He understands time. He understands how time affects us, but he himself is beyond time. He's outside of time. And he delights in doing things according to his timing rather than being jerked around by our kind of limited, uh, frustrated, click, click, click sense of timing. He loves that. I've observed that some, some of God's greatest miracles 
are miracles specifically because of the timing of it. It's the timing that makes it a miracle. I mean, think about, think about the miracle of the Red Sea opening. Okay? Now, what, what, if, what if Moses would have got there and somebody kind of said, man, you should have been here two days ago. All of a sudden, the sea opened up and it was this amazing thing. It was open for like two hours and then it just shut down. And, and Moses said, wow, that was a, that's a phenomena. But it wouldn't have been the same miracle. Or, or what, if it would, what if it would have opened uh, too late? He got there and, it, and it's so late that, that they get mowed down by Pharaoh and his dudes, okay? Or what if it would have opened on time, but what if it would have shut too early and they all would have drowned? Or what if it would have opened and shut too late? Pharaoh's guys would have made it all the way through. It just, it changes the miracle. The timing itself is part of the miracle. I thought about the, the kid with the five loaves and two fishes. The kid with the, you know, with the fish sandwich. Came to hear Jesus, you know? And you know the story how they, they brought the kid up and they blessed the, the thing and there's all these, they've had 5,000, how these baskets of food left. Well, what, what if... What if that miracle would have happened like the day before in their kitchen at home, okay? Or, or I thought about this, what if the kid would have eaten the food and then it happened, okay? He'd be always known as the kid who died of uh, fish sandwich poisoning and, and bloated out to, well, never mind. But here in this story, this is about timing as well. It's about Jesus being, by our estimation, four days late and yet being right on time. To, to me, the most amazing thing about this story when I look at it is the way that Jesus responded to the need of his friend. He whom you love is sick, sick at the point of death. And uh, he said immediately, hey, this sickness is not unto death. This is for the glory of God. There's going to be a good ending here that God may be glorified. And right away, Jesus lays it out that this horrific thing, this is not about death. You just watch, okay, and something's going to happen that's going to amaze you. This says, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus, so... Now when I think of the word so, I think of a word that connects this with that. Well, because he loved them so much, so... So he canceled everything and rented a bunch of really fast horses because they walked everywhere. And then they ran like the wind or drove like the wind to, to Bethany and everything worked out, right? Is that what it says? No, let's say that. No, he prayed to the Father and asked the Father to instantaneously transport him to the scene. That's not what it says. It says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place he was. It was a purposeful delay. And it wasn't like Jesus had overbooked himself like we do. I, I got to get out of all my commitments. In fact, we don't read of anything significant that happened during those couple of days. We don't know. All we know is that he waited. And during that delay, Lazarus died. And after two days of waiting around, Jesus then says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, and we're going to go wake him up. And he said, oh, that's good that he's sleeping because he needs to sleep. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like he's dead. Oh. I mean, that had to be really tough for them to understand. I mean, they understood that Jesus had the power to heal. They'd seen that. They knew that Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they knew that they were very close personally. Maybe they thought that Jesus was afraid to travel that direction because from where he was, 20 miles, in order to get to Bethany on a map, you look at it, he had to go through Jerusalem. And the Pharisees and the other religious dudes had already declared war on Jesus and made it pretty clear, if you come to Jerusalem again, you're in trouble. Big things are going to happen. 
Maybe they thought he was afraid or didn't want to go through Jerusalem. And then he messes their minds up. He says, okay, now let's go ahead and go. So it obviously wasn't that. So what's going on? So Thomas kind of says, well, let's go too, and we'll die with him. You know, I mean, this is how Jesus treats his closest friends. We're next, you know. Martha sure didn't understand. How could she? I mean, she is consumed as any sister would be with her own grief. She couldn't have known any better. Listen, she had great faith. She's like a lot of us. She had great faith in Jesus, but her faith was decidedly narrow. It was kind of formulaic. Listen to this formula. She said, if you would have been there, then my brother wouldn't have died. That's a formula that she put on Jesus. We do that all the time. She had to be feeling like, I I believe you could have done this. What's wrong with you? How many times have you felt that way in life? I mean, I have. When you prayed and it's like, God, don't you understand? We're in trouble down here. Hurry, come to our rescue. And then things don't happen the way you prayed. If you haven't ever been there before, I promise you, you haven't lived very long. You're like six years old or younger, okay? Because it happens to everybody. And when it happens, it's tough because in addition to whatever the original struggle was, then you're dealing with this spiritual crisis. that You feel abandoned. You feel unloved. You feel like maybe prayer doesn't have the power that I thought or maybe there's something wrong with me or, or, or maybe there's... Then you start wondering about God himself. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes through your mind at a time like that. So Martha had a faith, but her faith was calculated and and conditioned, and it looked for things to happen a certain way and a certain time frame, and when it doesn't happen that way, you begin to doubt, which brings me to observation number two. Jot this down. Here it is. In the Lord's timing, the Lord is always doing more than we could ever understand. Here... Jesus was committed to a greater miracle than healing Lazarus. You say, well, yeah, raising him from the dead. Yeah, but raising him from the dead after four days. That's very significant in the Jewish understanding, by the way, of death. But even beyond that, there was a bigger picture here that they could have no idea what was going on because this miracle and the, and the echoes that happened for it started a, a series of events into the big timing of the great, full, cosmic, eternal plan of redemption. You say, how so? Well, what happened was when, when this miracle took place and people reacted, they say, wow, he's got power over life and death. The Pharisees who had had it up to here with Jesus because he was kind of taking their place and they didn't, they didn't think he was the Messiah and they were angry. They, the Scripture says that when they saw that, when that happened, that was like the last straw. That was the final impetus for them at a human level to put into a chain of action the plot to have Jesus crucified only two weeks later. This was it. This was the thing that started the process. This, was, this is what drove it. And from a human level, that's what it, Now, we know from a cosmic plan, Jesus wasn't a, 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 a pathetic figure in history. This was the plan of God forever. So God works through all these things, and he's doing these things, kind of like gears in a watch. And he's doing way more than we could ever imagine. This miracle, delayed four days by our schedule, but right on time, was not only going to bless Lazarus and Mary and Martha, but it was going to set in motion ultimately that which would save everyone in this room. 
and around the world who receive Christ's gift of death on the cross and his power of resurrection. See, he was doing something bigger than they could have understood. And he had to do it exactly the way he did it. I am convinced that sometimes my prayers aren't answered the way I pray them because God loves me too much to give me an inferior miracle. He's always working on a bigger chessboard than I am. I'm working over here trying to protect my rook or trying to protect my queen. Johnny, I'm always trying to protect my queen. But he sees the whole board. and he, He's working something that's way bigger than I can understand. He is the one who's making the difference. Which brings me to my final point. Jot this down. Always, always, always. The solution to our situation is a person, not a plan. Would you say that with me? The solution to our situation is always a person, not a plan. Person, capital P. His name is Jesus. Now, when Martha ran out to meet Jesus, it, it doesn't take a big imagination to, to see a highly emotional moment. I mean, I see her kind of beating on the chest of Jesus. Lord, where were you? Why weren't you here? If you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. Why did you wait? I see an exhausted Martha just collapsing into the embrace of Jesus. And look at the Lord's response. I love this. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't say, how dare you question me, woman? Don't you know who I am? In fact, i got to say, just in general throughout the Scripture and in our lives as well, I am so impressed by the way Jesus handles the faith struggles of all of us who believe in Him. I love that. I love that about Him. Because if we'll be honest, we will all find ourselves at times in our life when we are struggling with our faith. It's not like we're struggling because we don't want to believe. We're struggling because we do believe. We're kind of like uh, the guy that, that had a, 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 the father who had a son that was demonized, and he was, uh, can you think, imagine what that would be like, man. And the father comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you come, just come and deliver my son. It's a horrible mess. And Jesus says, uh, do you believe I'm able to do this? And the guy, I love this. Jesus answers, an, I ask him an honest question. Here's his honest response. Lord, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. When I read that, I thought, good for him. You know, because isn't that the way it is a lot of times in life? We believe, but sometimes we have these shadowy things like, I don't know, I, I feel uncomfortable that I struggle. So, listen, I've learned this. Everybody will struggle at some point with their faith. And there are people who love the Lord as much as anybody else that seems like they struggle all the time. It's just, it's just kind of the way they're wired. Maybe Thomas was like this. I love that we, we always name Thomas Doubting Thomas. The Scripture doesn't call him that. They call him Thomas the Twin. That's how we just heard of him a little while ago. And here we see, okay, well, Thomas is kind of, oh, well, maybe we're going to go die with him. And later we find that Thomas was one of those guys who was struggling to believe after the resurrection. He hadn't seen Jesus. He hears these stories, and he says, look, man, until I put my fingers right there, I saw it. Until I put my fingers there and there, and his feet, I'm not going to believe. Why did he say that? Because he didn't want to believe? I don't think so. Maybe he had been hurt in his life before and he just didn't, he just didn't want to throw his heart over it when he'd been hurt. Maybe, his, maybe he just felt like he'd get tripped up on his brain a lot. Can I share something with you? Um, 
Everybody goes through that. And Jesus isn't mad at us when we struggle. We haven't failed him. I read a, uh, the biography. I'm sounding like a, an apple nut, which I'm really not. By the way, you know why Steve Jobs named Apple Apple? True story. I read this in his biography. At the time, he was eating a diet that was only apples. True. True. He lived in a commune in Oregon. Oh, it's a long story. Anyway, brilliant guy, very strange. But I read, I read his biography, and you know, he's a very smart young man. And when he was a, a, a very young teenager, 13, 14, he went to his pastor one day, and he had some ser- serious, honest, tough questions about Christianity. I mean, think about the kind of questions a guy like him might ask, okay? He had some tough, honest questions, and his pastor kind of blew him off and said, well, little Steve, you know, some things are not given for us to know, or we just have to trust, you know? And Steve walked away from that thinking either he's not a thinking person, or maybe all this stuff is a bunch of hooey, or maybe he just doesn't care about kids, the pastor doesn't, or all three, and he walked away, and as far as we know, he never stepped back into faith in Christ. That's a tragedy, not because Steve Jobs was a genius, but because he was a human being who had a soul, and he's in eternity somewhere now. All I'm saying is this. In his story, in real life, we go through stuff, and we have questions, and you wonder. Some of you here, and you're kind of, you kind of really relate to that. I just want to encourage them. I, I picked up a book. I'm not selling Apple Watches today. I'm not selling books. This is out of print. I had to get this on Amazon, okay? But I came across this a while back. It's, uh, it's called Letters from a Skeptic. And it's very interesting to me because what happened here is a father-son type thing, but kind of the reverse of what you would maybe think. The son grew up in a home of a very smart dad, very intelligent dad, who was a religious skeptic. A lot of questions, unanswered questions. The son became a Christian, went on to seminary, ended up working in a, in a, a seminary as a college professor, a professor, by the way, of apologetics, which means the defense of the faith, okay? So he loves his dad. His dad's a wonderful dad, great granddad. And one day he writes his dad a letter and says, you know, it just, honestly, it just seems kind of weird to me that this is my life. This is my world of apology, you know, about my faith and everything. And you're my dad and I love you so much. And I know where you're at, I think, but we've never really engaged in that conversation. Would you feel comfortable, dad, with just some honest heart-to-heart talks back and forth, and they did so in a series of about 20 letters that are reprinted in this book. And I, I'm, I'm taking a little more time than I was going to, but i got to tell you this. This dad asked every tough question there is. Every, I mean, I, I, I think, what else could you ask? And the cool thing was the son not only had great, smart, biblical, true, and just wise answers but he did it all in the context of a loving relationship. I mean, the letter starts, the letter would start out, well, yeah, Johnny's soccer game, they did this and that, and man, we sure are glad you came, and then they, then they jump in. Here's some of the stuff they jump into. We just, I'll just read a few of these. I'm sharing this because maybe, maybe some of you might want to pick this up. I don't know. I used it for one of my small groups in my church. Uh, why has is, why is Christianity done so much harm? This is this guy's, the skeptic's questions. Why is the world so full of suffering? Is the risk of freedom, having a free will, is it really worth all the suffering that ensues? Does God know the future? Why does God create earthquakes and famines? Each of these are letters and chapters. Why did God create Satan? Is your God all-powerful? 
Could all of this just be here by chance? Here's one. Why didn't God spare your mother? Hmm. Why would an all-powerful God need us to pray? Why would God care about us little humans? How can you trust the accounts in the Bible? How can you believe that a man, Jesus, rose from the dead? How can you believe that He was God? How can you believe the Bible is inspired? Why is believing so difficult? Why are there so many different interpretations of the Bible? What about the other holy books and and other religions? Do all non-Christians go to hell? How can an all-loving God torture people in an eternal hell? How can I be holy and sinful at the same time? And I'm telling you what, He walks through it all. If you have been a person that has struggled, you believe, but you struggle sometimes. This might be something that you would want to check out. But remember this, back to the story, Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha for her faith struggle. He simply looks her in the eyes and says, your brother will rise again. And she kind of spiritualizes it like a lot of us do. Well, I I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection. And then Jesus said, no, 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 Listen, listen, listen. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus didn't say to her, I can show you the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. He didn't say, I will show you the way to life. He said, I am the life. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He said, I am the way. See, the answer to our struggles in life are not a plan, it's a person. On the plane on the way over here, I was wrestling with kind of a complex situation I'm dealing with. And I really feel like the Lord's been giving me some direction. And, and I was, you know, as quickly as I could on my iPad in the plane, then it was kind of a bumpy. And, uh, and I was writing all these thoughts down. And you know how you get, you're feeling kind of secure about your plan, okay? And then I come to the hotel last night and I'm reading through my notes. I said, yeah, just remember that it's always about a person, not a plan. That's who we got to put our trust in. You know? It's Jesus. It's Him. He is our answer. I'd like you to stand with me if you would. Would you please? If you bow your heads for a moment, we're not going to take a long time to pray, but I do want to just give opportunity. Maybe you're here today and um, you've been feeling a lot of anxiety um, maybe in your work world. Been concerns about the security of your job or maybe you uh, are in business for yourself you run a small business maybe you're in some type of upper management position and 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 you you have to make some tough decisions that you know are going to affect people's lives and it's really tough for you and you're worrying about it i want you to know that it's not unspiritual to feel those concerns it's a mark of being a really mature, thoughtful, conscientious adult. But I want you to know that this is a time when you can really dig deep into your faith because the Lord's with you in the midst of this faith struggle. Maybe you're here today and you're really worried about your children, about your grandkids. Maybe they're not doing well. There are forces at work in their lives that are terrifying to you. It's, it's like they've closed themselves off to every good influence, maybe including you, and they seem like they've opened themselves up to everything bad, and you're worrying, and you wake up thinking about it. It works on you all day, and you think about it until you go to sleep, and sometimes you dream and have nightmares about it. Why do you worry so much? 
Is it because your faith isn't right? No. Because you love Him. That's what we do. But I want to challenge you to remember today that there is a person named Jesus. And, you know, His timing may be different than ours. His clock looks different. He's committed to things that are greater than we could imagine. And the answer to our situation is always Him. Him. Now, today, as I close this up in prayer, and I'm going to give you some directives for some table talk around your probably your kitchen table as we've got to wrap this up. I want to encourage you to be thinking about some things. I want to ask you three questions. I want you to think about a time when you felt God's timing was way off in your life. How did you feel? How did things turn out? Thomas and every other disciple since have gone through seasons of questioning and doubt. Can you relate to Thomas? If so, how? Did you grow up in an environment? This is a good question. Did you grow up in an environment where you felt free to dig for answers or were questions not permitted where you lived? Whatever it is, I want you to know you've got a God who loves you and He's going to treat you with the same love and care and affection that He treated those He loved on that day. Yeah.